as they're going back and doing that, I want to uh, say one more time, this is one more reminder, because I don't want any of you showing up next week at 9 o'clock. Because of the all-church retreat next weekend down in Brown County, we only have one worship service, okay? And that's going to be at what time? 10 a.m. So I'm hopeful to see most of you down in Brown County, but for those who aren't, I hopeful, I'm hopeful that you'll be here uh, next week um, at 10 o'clock uh, for one service. Um, it'll, be a, it'll be a great worship service here as well. We will miss being here, uh, and we will miss you, um, but I hope that you will be here. All right, sisters and brothers in Christ, this is uh, the last that we're going to look at, at, at the book of Daniel for this summer, uh, and this is going to be Daniel chapter Six, which is, I feel quite certain, uh, probably the most famous of all of the stories in the book of Daniel. Uh, as I've done quite a bit during this uh, series, let me warn you that it is a hefty passage, but I want to read the whole thing uh, this time, unlike last week. So I invite you to hear these words. It pleased Darius, who's now the king uh, of Babylon, it, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for, ch for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issued can be changed. 
So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God has sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty." The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. And King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, we come to you yet one more time as a way of creating space in order to ask that you speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So yeah, like I said, my guess is this is the most well-known passage in all of Daniel. And many of us, not all of us, we didn't all grow up in church, but, but many of us probably learned this in Sunday school. Uh, one of the things, though, that you may not have learned or may not have known, maybe you do, is that Daniel was not really an, a, a young person whenever this happened. We've kind of been tracing Daniel's life, so maybe this makes more sense to you. But Daniel, by this time, is in his 80s or 90s. And that always kind of surprises me. I was wondering about why it surprised me so much. And then I, I looked and I saw this kind of this, this child's book, children's book, uh, and you see Daniel there. Now, He may be using a lot of oil of Olay or plastic surgery of some sort, but he does not look 80 or 90 years old to me in this particular picture. And and now you may say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, I actually think it's kind of a big deal because one of the things that I think is critical for us to always remember is that no matter how old you are, whether you are or whether you are 55 or in your 70s or your 80s or your 90s, that God still has an important plan for you and you still play a critical mission in what God is doing. One of the things I love about ZPC, I love the young people we have, but one of the things I really love are the older saints that we have here. 
I, I was thinking about this. Here in, a, here in about a week and a half or so, uh, or a week or so, I'm going to go to Brazil for a week in order to see what the Lord is doing there. We partner with a lot of churches down there. And I'm going with Steve Wright. Now, Steve, I, Steve, he's not in his 80s or 90s, but he's not 20 either. And so... Steve is retired. This will be his fifth time to go, and he is going with me. And I was thinking about this because the other day I was kind of complaining to my wife about the fact that, oh, you know, it's gonna, we're going to be flying all night long. It's going to be like 24 hours or more, and, and we have like two or three layovers. It's going to be brutal. And then all of a sudden I saw Steve. Here is Steve. I have never heard. Now, maybe his wife has heard, but I have never heard him complain one time. He is always so happy. He's going to be there dragging me along. And I love that. And again, it is this great reminder that when we think about the people in Scripture, right, that we think about them in their fullness of age as this wonderful reminder that God, no matter how young or old we may be, God is still with us and desires us to pursue his mission. Amen? And so you have Daniel there, right? And he's doing great, it seems. He's about to be placed over all of the kingdom. And not surprisingly, this makes people angry, right? This makes people jealous. They're envious. And so they try to figure out how in the world can we make sure that Daniel doesn't do this. And so they are watching him. And it's this this reminder yet again of the fact that people are always watching us. Right? I, was, I was thinking about this, about the reality that, and there are probably two kinds of people who are watching us. Those of us who follow God, who follow Jesus, there are some, like in this situation I would say, who watch us with great glee and they cannot wait for us to do something that will prove that maybe we aren't following this God that we talk about how we're following, right? And so they, they look and they're ready to catch us at any moment. But I also think there are others who are oftentimes watching how we act to see in hopes that maybe, maybe the gospel to which we speak, maybe the hope of the resurrection of which we are living, maybe it's actually real. And I think it's always important, this can put a lot of pressure on us, I get it, but I think it's always important for us to be, to, be, to, to, to be aware of the fact that we're being watched to see whether or not the gospel we espouse is the gospel we are actually living out. So they're watching Daniel, and they're disappointed. To Daniel's credit, right, he lives with great integrity. So there he is, he's living with integrity, and they decide, you know what, there's no way that we can do this because Daniel, he's not making a mistake. And so then they come up with a great plan. They say, I know, we're going to figure out a way to have the law of his God combat the law of the kingdom of this world. And so that's exactly what they do. So they, they come, they surround the king. Literally, in Hebrew, the word is swarm. Isn't that a great word? Like a bee, like a hive. They're swarming around the king because they want the king to do what they want him to do. Now, they don't let him in on the secret plan because they know that he loves Daniel. And so they come up with this secret ploy. This is kind of interesting. You see what they did. They, they had this whole thing about, oh, well, let's just have everyone worship you. In other words, the way to get somebody to do what you want is to feed their ego and their pride. It's also, of course... Important for us to realize if something is feeding our ego or our pride, we might want to be careful how far we follow that. So they feed into the ego and the pride of the king, and he says, well, 30 days with everybody just worshiping me? That's awesome. 
right? Let's do it. I mean, what could go wrong? 30 days of worshiping me? Fantastic, right? Most of us would probably be okay with that. So, oh, I know you say you wouldn't, but you wouldn't mind it that much. And so he says, okay, sure, let's do that. And so then what do they do? They go and they begin to watch Daniel. And they know exactly where Daniel's going to go, don't they? They know exactly. He's going to go and pray. That's his habit. That's what he does. Now, you got to give Daniel some credit here. Again, you guys, you may not want to be honest today about this, but if it were me and I would always go and kind of swing the windows wide open to pray to Jerusalem, I have the sneaking suspicion that if I knew that that law had been passed, as Daniel clearly knew, that I'd probably take the windows and just be like, I think that's good. And God can hear me. I probably don't need to say it out loud. And my knees have been bothering me. There's probably no reason to get on my knees, for, at least for the next, I don't know, 30 days or so. Right? But not Daniel, right? He seems to have no fear. He's got this great courage. He just, he just you know, flings the windows wide open and he begins to pray. And they are so excited. So they go back and we're told they swarm again around the king to tell him, hey, this is what happened. The, Dan- the king is clearly not happy. He tries to come up with lots of different reasons why he shouldn't do this. But they won't allow him at all. They say, no, 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 you can't repeal this particular one. And so he, he stays all through the night or up until, until nightfall trying to figure it out. When he can't, they finally they throw Daniel into the lion's den. They put a big stone over it to make sure that he can't hop out, right? And then he goes back to his palace, we're told. And someone has suggested that the king was probably, ironically enough, there in the safety of his palace was more anxious than Daniel, who's sitting there staring at a bunch of hungry lions. He runs down there the next day, the king does. He hurries down there to see what's happened. And he yells down to Daniel. Daniel says, no, I'm fine. It's it's not a big deal. And all of a sudden, then this amazing thing happens. It goes up. The king writes this wonderful letter out to the whole world. Now, I need to say one thing. Because I don't want you to think I'm just looking over this. The, the, the book that I showed you, it did not include the part about then all of a sudden throwing the women, the wives, and the children into the den. I don't know what to do with that. Here is what I will say. I'm thankful, at least, that the Bible does not approve of that. The Bible doesn't say, and it was great that they threw in the wives and the children. Now, I wish, if I could be so honest, that it would have said, unfortunately, this is what happened. But what it does, I guess in one sense, is it shows the brutality of this particular empire and what they will do in order to further their own kingdom. And so we have the weight of that, and then we have the letter, the letter that the king then sends out to everyone, to the whole world, saying that the God of Daniel is the God who saves. It is a pretty intriguing story. And one of the things is, I've kind of been thinking about it this week and reading on it, one of the interesting things about this particular passage that is a little bit uh, oh, hard to swallow is this, is the reality that, the, that Daniel is going to let nothing, not a law, not the fear of his own death, not a bunch of hungry lions, not a bunch of people who are jealous and envious. He is not going to let anything get in the way of his worshiping God. Now, the reason why I say that's kind of significant is it's a wee bit sobering because quite honestly, we oftentimes come up with a lot of fairly flimsy reasons to not worship God. 
either to not come in here and worship God or to not pray someplace and worship God or to not read our scripture in worship of God. I don't want to make any of us overly defensive, so I'll just tell a story that a pastor told, not this one, another pastor. And he was just commenting on the reality that one time he had these parents who came in and they said, sorry, we weren't here last Sunday, um, but the problem is, is that, you know, our child got invited to a birthday party on Sunday morning and so we were forced to be there. And the pastor said in his commentary, he didn't actually say this to them, I don't think, is, really, you were forced? There was no way that you could have given a gift some other time or just not gone? Now, I don't want us to become overly defensive about this. Okay, So let me, let me start off by saying this. As I think that we all too often can become very legalistic about these kinds of things, right? I, I was talking not long ago to a couple of ZPCers, a, a, a man and wife, and they were saying that, that, that one of their parents, uh, uh, one of their parents uh, were on vacation, or when they were on vacation, their parent called them and said, "Hey, where did you go to church today?" Right? While they were on vacation. And, and so all they did was they felt kind of guilty. Like we have to go on vacation. Even when we're, or we have to go to church. Even when we're on vacation. Can we not take a break? You know, it's, it's this kind of sense of guilt, right? And I want you to know that oftentimes when I'm on vacation, I don't go to church. Okay? I spend the whole time just in prayer. And I can remember growing up when, I, when we were in elementary school in the, in, um, in the Seattle area, I can remember on Wednesday nights, quarterly, on Wednesday nights, they would have a skating party for all the school. I may have shared this before. And, and because we had Wednesday night church service, I could never go to that skating party. And I want you to know, I am still, I mean that, I'm still angry about that. I got to go one time, one time at the time of my life, and I could never go back because my parents said, no, 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 we have Wednesday night service. So I understand that. I don't want you to feel guilty. And I know that some of you feel guilty like when you don't come to worship. I know. How do I know? Because when I see you, either here or out at the grocery store, the first thing you say to me is, well, I know we haven't seen you in a while, but we have this, 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 and this. And I, I, I want to say, you know, look, I, I may, I'm not God. Right? And when I see you, the first thing I think about is not, well, I haven't seen you. Right? It's, it's usually like the second or third thing that I think about. And so... Right, so I, I, I want to stay away from that legalism. That was a legalism that I grew up in. I want to get away from that. But I also want to be very honest in saying we let some pretty flimsy things get in the way of us either coming to worship or of us spending time in prayer or spending time in the scripture or worshiping in some other way. We, we have a lot of flimsy excuses at times. Let's just be honest about that. And so as I was thinking about that, it was just like the sense of looking at Daniel and saying, wow, Daniel would let nothing. He was going to be killed. And he was still like, I'm still going to worship God. I think that was one of the things that was so powerful when Marilyn Boris was here uh, two weekends ago. And uh, when she was talking about our Christians, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. I mean, here you have these brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And, 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 and after worship at a lunch, she was showing pictures. I think that's when it was. And pictures in the Middle East, Syria and Iraq. And, and, and in a couple of the pictures, as you looked on a Sunday morning, a picture was taken from outside the church. And there was an armed guard there. And the armed guard was there in order to keep terrorists from coming in and bombing or shooting up their worship service and yet they still went into worship I mean does that strike anybody fine it just struck me you guys are so glad that you actually came today aren't you 
Right? Or, or, or the story that she told during a worship service about, about communion and about how there was that church that hadn't had communion in two years because they wanted to have a pastor there. And when they finally had a pastor there, those in the congregation, some of them began to weep as they began to do communion. And others had their cameras out and were taking pictures because they did not want to forget that moment. And I think, man, how many times do I trot down and just do communion with nary a thought about it? And it's this incredible reminder that so often it is those without power and without freedom who have something to teach those of us who have all the freedom and the power of the world to do whatever we would like. It is a sobering reminder of that. Again, I don't say that so that then we say, oh, geez, there goes Jerry, just making us feel guilty. And now I, I really, I don't want anyone else to come up to me and say, here's why we haven't been around. And I mean, I want you to know you can because I care for you and I love you, but not out of guilt. But I just want us to, to be mindful of what those without power and freedom so often have to teach us. And the reality that worshiping God will never just sort of happen for most of us. What they teach us, what Daniel teaches us is the importance of the priority of worship, no matter what else may get in the way. And that really is perhaps the greatest miracle in this particular story. Someone has suggested that the greatest miracle is not that the lions kept their mouths closed. It is that Daniel kept his hands closed in prayer even when he easily could have opened them. And one of the things that I said last week as we talked about Daniel and just looking at how faithful he was, how courageous he was, is the reality that this is a goal that I think we should have. A goal, right, to be able to know God so well that it then gives us the courage to live with God no matter what may, uh, what, what may come against us. And the question is, you know, or one of, the, one of the struggles that I have, and this is my soapbox, is that with great frequency when it comes to the characters in the Bible, uh, we, we like to make them heroes, right? And we like to think, oh, well, they are just heroic. And the reason they're heroic is because of the fact that they were born like that. Or the reason that they're heroic is because all of a sudden, for some reason, they just had this great courage. They're just different. And when we do that, right, when we make them heroes like that, then guess what we do? We let ourselves off the hook, Right? Well, I wasn't born like that. I don't have that kind of courage. Or, well, maybe someday God will just all of a sudden bestow that upon me. And what we do is that's unfair to people like Daniel. Because do you know the reason why Daniel was able to continue to pray and have all of this courage? It's because of the fact that this was not the first time Daniel had ever prayed. Daniel was praying, as was his habit, the scripture says, three times a day, day in and day out, week after week, month after month, year after year. Daniel was a person of prayer. The only way to be able to have a faith like Daniel is not to wait to someday when everything is coming against us and think, well, maybe now I'll have courage. It is to be about the daily work and the daily habit of praying. It didn't just happen. And a lot of times when it comes to prayer, we think about prayer as just being something for forgiveness or praying for others, which those are both great things. But I want to suggest that prayer is primarily about creating space so that our relationship with God can begin to grow. It is about creating space so that our relationship with God can grow. 
I think that's one of the most important things for us to understand. I, this past week, we had this uh, email from a staff member sent to a couple of us because it reminded her of home groups. And, and, and the quote, it was a quote, and here's what the quote says. It says, we can't make people care about God, the world, or each other. We simply create a context where it is likely to happen. And I want to suggest that when they say create a context, what we're talking about is, is creating space, right? And so she said, this reminds me of home groups, which is exactly right. What do home groups do? Home groups are great banquet or, or, or the all-church retreat or the all-church brunch. Those are our creating space for people to get together where then they may grow in relationship. You can't force people to grow in relationship. But if you don't ever try to create that structure, it will not happen. Right? So we create space for that to happen. And we believe it's the same thing when it comes to prayer. That what is prayer? It is about creating space in which God can work. And so what we're suggesting today is if we can create the space in which God can work, if that's what prayer is, then, then how can we continually do that so that we can grow our relationship with God so it's not just when we're staring at lions, it's not just when we're in a den or a pit that all of a sudden then we need to feel the closeness of God. We have created that space week after week, month after month, and year after year. This week I got together with, uh, with one of the people from the prayer team. I, I said this a few weeks ago that during VBS we had a prayer team who were praying for a lot of different, uh, for all of the kids and all the volunteers. And one of the things that they said that they wanted to do was they wanted to create, uh, they created a, a prayer box, like a little mailbox, if you will, where, where kids could put in their prayers. And you never know for sure uh, whether or not any kids are actually going to do that or not, right? We have no idea if they're going to do that. But they decided they wanted to create space to see, well, will our kids actually put something in there? And so they created that space, and they did, right? Kids were writing things and it was great. This week, uh, the, the member from the prayer team, the reason why she came in is because she, she had all these prayer requests and she didn't know what to do with them. She didn't want to throw them away. Um, and so she gave them to me so that then I had to feel the guilt if I threw them away, right? And so, so she gave them to me. And so we had a chance, actually. Both of us just sat there and we kind of read through them. And it really was remarkable. I mean, that, to, to, to see, this is, again, one of those things where uh, this is just a, a parenting thing, if I can, for just one moment, is a lot of times I think, I think, let me just put this on me, I think my kids aren't thinking a lot of different things, and it's only, I've noticed this, it's only when it's usually me and just one of them, and we're just sitting there, and we've created space where all of a sudden they begin to share all of their thoughts, and it wouldn't happen unless we created space, right, for them to be able to do that. And that's what this prayer box did. It created the space. It was beautiful. Some of these prayers, I mean, some of them were, you know, pray for my fish, you know, things like that. And that's fine. But, but some of them were praying for, for a father that seems to be absent. And uh, as I shared, praying for, you know, someone who's, who's who, uh, for a grandmother struggling with cancer and all of these other things. But there was this one prayer that I, I, I hadn't known about before this week. And, and this kid's prayer, uh, this kid's prayer simply said this. He said, he said, God, I want you to become visible. I want you to become visible. And I thought, isn't that exactly what prayer is about? Prayer is our desire for God to become visible. 
to become real. We talk about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And prayer so often is creating space so that we can begin to see that God is there. Don't you think that's what Daniel was praying? When he was down on his knees, don't you think he was praying for God to be visible? Don't you think that that when he was in the lion's den, he was especially praying that God would become visible? And isn't that what so many of us are doing? And the thing about prayer is that it helps us to prepare us so that we can begin to see where God is visible. So that day after day, the more that we pray, the more that we create space, the more we begin to see where God is visible in our lives. So that when we come against those lions, when we go into that den or that pit, we can see God as we never would have seen him before. So what does that actually look like for you? Well, I don't like to just kind of say, hey, let's go pray. Let's just create space. So here's what I, here, here, I have three ways for us to do this. Okay? The first is something I've talked about before, which is the daily examine. Right? What is that? So the daily examine is simply to go to the very end of your day. And when you're at the end of the day, to look back at your day and ask, where have I seen God? Where has God been made visible? Right now, look, when you start out something like this, it may not be the biggest thing. And it may not be like, hey, I saw a shadow, right? I mean, it could be, I suppose, but it may not be. But, but, but as you begin to look back and see God, what we believe is that the more that you begin to do it, the more that you will begin to see God in real time, if you will. Another way is to reflect on different passages. One of those is Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. It's just one of them that talks about kind of being able to see God. And, 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 and perhaps it's just creating space where you just sit down and you just look at that passage for a few minutes. And you just say, Lord, what, is this, what does this mean? It's just creating space. Again, don't wait for fireworks, right? Which leads me to the last uh, example I have, which is simply to sit in a comfortable, not too comfortable, seat and get bored. When we talked about prayer a few months ago, we talked about the power of boredom and the reality that so often our imaginations, and I would suggest the Spirit of the Lord, works through that boredom. And sometimes we don't pray, right, because we we feel guilty, right, because we get bored. And so then we just say, well, I don't want to be bored, so I'm just not going to pray because then I feel bad like I'm being a bad Christian. And so then we just answer it by not actually praying at all. Right? I think God is okay with being bored. Remember what Pope Francis said a while back that sometimes when he prays, apparently he sits in a too comfortable of a chair because he falls asleep. And he says, that's okay. Right? But create space. Just simply create space. It doesn't have to be, all right, well, i got to, you know, just do two hours. Start off small. If for you, it has to be one minute, that's fine. Right? If it can be five minutes, that's probably even better. But just create some space where you can say, I'm going to create space and see how it is that God becomes more visible as I do this. Now, here's the thing I want you to know, because I always like to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is not easy, because here is what it will cost you. It will cost all of you some time. It absolutely will. It will not just happen. You will not wake up tomorrow and, hey, I have an extra 10 minutes to pray. Where did that come from? Nowhere. It won't happen. It will only happen as you prioritize 
worship, right? As you learn from our brothers and sisters across the globe, as you learn from Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, as we learn to make it a priority to say, I'm going to sacrifice this five minutes or this ten minutes, and I am just going to be still. Again, don't expect massive fireworks, but sit there and create space to see where God might show himself to you. And as you continue to do that day after day, week after week, month after month, I think you will begin to see God visible in your daily life. And in those moments, when we are facing the greatest challenges we may ever face, we will have seen God so much in the midst of the mundane that we will not be surprised to see him in the midst of the miraculous. Because we have been willing to have created space for God each and every day. May that be our prayer today. Amen? And let's pray. God, it is not easy to create space. It is not easy to see you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.